Do you want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily. It's called Spotify for Podcasters. It lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. You know I love that, and I promise you the other platforms don't offer that. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can also earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. I've been using Spotify for Podcasters from the very start. I highly recommend you give it a try. Just don't post on Monday. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome, everyone, to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross, Carlos Alcaraz. The rise continues, and he is a Masters 1000 champion at Miami 2022. He beats Casper Ruud in the final in straight sets, and I'm here to break it down. Lots of good stuff. Alcaraz, if a weakness has been pointed to, it has been the first serve. And the fact that sometimes things are difficult on him because he doesn't get a lot of help out of that serve. That he doesn't win a lot of quick, easy, short points using the serve. Well, in this match, that was not a problem. I'm going to talk about why. Casper Rude made a lot of adjustments. Rude had, I think, a good idea of what he needed to do in this match. Didn't work. Especially on the forehand side. We're going to get into why. I have some general thoughts on Casper and his development. Congratulations to him. Biggest final of his career, his first Masters 1000 final, and it comes on a hard court. We obviously know that so much of the success that he's had in his career has come on clay. Rude's got a good trajectory right now, a lot of good things happening for him, and I'm going to talk about what I've seen with Rude in general. But I want to start, before I get into the technical breakdown of the match, with what we're seeing out of Carlos Alcaraz from a macro perspective. People are really excited right now. And I love it. I think it's incredible. We're not at a point where Alcaraz has really even had time to be marketed. I don't think people really know his story. I know I have a lot to learn about his story. People have a lot to learn about his personality. Obviously, Seems like an exceedingly nice kid. He's a, almost kind of a cute interview. And I, I don't really know if he comes across a little bit differently in Spanish than he does in English. But all this to say, plain and simple, his tennis is doing all the talking. And it's doing a lot of talking because if the crowd noise in Miami and Indian Wells are any indication, this guy is resonating with people. The ability that he has on the court slaps you in the face. It is not subtle. And I think more than anything, Carlos Alcaraz has become the center of attention, at least at a tournament like Miami, where Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic were not in the mix when even Medvedev and Tsitsipas and Zverev did not make the weekend. No semifinals for them in the Sunshine Double as a whole. 
Carlos Alcaraz felt like the show on the men's side for a lot of this tournament. A lot of the best matches, a lot of the most exciting moments. It's there for the final. And Carlos is the kind of guy who, right now, he's carrying matches on his own. That is very, very rare. I don't, you know, people are entertained by Carlos Alcaraz winning in sometimes an uncompetitive way. Now, the final was not a blowout by any means. It was a close match. Rude could have won the first set, had a lead in the first set. Uh, but still, it's like the bottom line, people are enjoying this guy. I think it's great for the game right now. And it's really adding a lot of interest as we head into clay court season. What's just happened, though, is that a guy who has never made it past round three of a major just won Miami, and nobody was surprised. The world number 16, now he's up to 11, just won Miami, and nobody was surprised in the slightest. What does that tell you? It tells you that everybody in tennis just used their eyes and knew exactly how to adjust their expectations accordingly. Not to say that anybody knew he was going to win the tournament. And I'm kind of hurting. I was between him and Felix in that quarter, and I went with Felix. Bummer for me on my preview there. But everybody knew and expected him to contend for the title. Not by anything that he's really accomplished. I mean, yes, you have the age, 18 years old, so his trajectory is obviously eye-popping and extremely noteworthy and special. But the only reason nobody was surprised by Carlos Alcaraz winning Miami is because everybody's watching him play. And as I said, it slaps you in the face. Nadal went into the 2005 French Open as the favorite, the betting favorite, having never played the tournament before. Right now, Alcaraz is the third favorite in the betting market. They're probably, that's probably the closest thing in any, I, I hesitate to call it recent history, but that's probably the closest thing that we've seen to, to this when it comes to hype for a young player, when it comes to people just seeing someone play and being like, oh yeah, that's it. Because again, should have been on paper, that's a surprise. Nobody was surprised. Everybody expected that he would contend for this Miami title. And look, uh, some people are weary of hype. There's an allergic reaction to hype in tennis because sometimes it's misplaced. Sometimes it's bad. He should be weary of the hype. I'm not sure we should. The hype is fun, and so far, the hype is justified. So, to me, there's no problem here with how Carlos Alcaraz is being covered. The only thing that is sometimes tiresome, but it'll work itself out, is uh, relentless trying to put him in a box. Uh, you know, a box that says that's labeled Federer, Nadal, or Djokovic. You know, Alcaraz is going to end up just being Alcaraz. Now, I'm, you know, I have no issue comparing his 
accomplishments to Nadal because right now that's the only marker for his accomplishments is what Nadal did. Obviously, you had that funny coincidence where Nadal's first ever Masters 1000 final was Miami, and then Carlos does the same thing. I have no problem, and, I, and you, know, you know, if you watch the preview, I've done this. I have no problem with pointing out those parallels and pointing out, you know, when Alcaraz is the youngest since Nadal or, or something like that, that's fine. But when it comes to play style, he's really his own thing. And, uh, you know, comparisons can sometimes be really helpful, but then also sometimes they can kind of minimize how special he can be on his own. So that's my thoughts on Alcaraz in general. Want to get into this match analysis after a quick shout out to Player Court. Player Court is the place to go if you're looking for a local coach, practice partner, or match. We're getting to summer, right? Weather's getting nice, regardless of of where you are. Oh, you know where I'm at these days in uh, Southern California. Weather's usually nice, but I'm not not bragging. Anyway, um, get out there, get out there. Fifty percent off to join your Player Court community using the link in the description. PlayerCourt.com backslash Gilgross. That's fifty percent off to join the Player Court community. So. The difference in this match, if you look at the the point length breakdown, was the zero through four shot rallies. Rallies five plus were 30 to 28 Alcaraz. That's a negligible advantage. It's not really where the match was won. The match was won in zero through four, and Alcaraz won those shorter points 46 to 37. There's the separation. So I want to start by focusing on Alcaraz's serve strategy. It was a perfect strategy. A great job by Carlos and his coaches. Really orchestrating and executing exactly what he needed to do on serve to dominate those short rallies behind his own delivery. Um, Alcaraz... Let me just give you the numbers up front. 35 points won to 6 points lost in the short rallies on his serve. 35 to 6. Rude was 31 to 11. So um, just not as efficient. A good amount less efficient and a little bit less, uh, well, actually the same frequency of short points pretty much. But Alcaraz uh, was was better in that category. And and there's your difference in the match. So let me get to why. So let's start with with how Rude was returning. And I have graphics here to uh, highlight this. Uh, so here are Rude's return hit points. On the deuce side, Rude was on top of the baseline. He was standing in. On the add side, he was in sometimes, but then he was back sometimes uh, on the first serve. And I'm focused on first serves right now. On the deuce side, when he was standing in, that would be primarily block return. He would not be driving those returns. On the ad side, he'd stand back and he would drive. So here's what Alcaraz did to counter. So here's on the deuce side. Remember, uh, Rude standing in on the deuce side. And Alcaraz is mixing it up a fair amount. But if you can kind of look at where his balls are landing... Pretty central, pretty safe serving by Carlos. Middle of the box a lot of the time. Not necessarily body serves, but lots of margin. 
And that is what Carlos is most comfortable with. If Alcaraz tries to hit close to the lines on first serve, his percentage gets very low. His spot serving is definitely the part of his game which is behind technically more than anything. But what we'll see is that it didn't matter in this match. What mattered is that he was making a high percentage of first serves. And he was able to do that by serving big, good amount of speed, but high margin to the do side. On the ad side, it was a very, very different strategy. Almost all the traffic was directed to the Casper Ruud backhand. It was out wide all the time. And remember, Ruud standing back on this side. So different return position and different service strategy. A lot more balls closer to the sideline as he was hitting the kick serve out wide, which he was able to place a lot better. He has better control over that serve. And he was focused a lot more on placement and hit those out wide spots. If you look at the yellow dots and the green dots, uh, which are aces, those are all the points that he won on serve. The red dots are the point that he lost. When he got the ball close to the sideline, he didn't lose any points. He won every single, every single good wide serve that Alcaraz hit on the ad side. He won the point. And that's not an exaggeration. Well, let's take a look at why. Let's go back to the deuce side now first. And remember, he's serving big to big targets. And here we have a big point at 6-5 in the opening set. Deuce. Alcaraz trying to serve out the opening set. And here's a first serve into pretty much the middle of the box onto Rude's forehand side. And now we have the block return by Rude. And Carlos has amazing racket head speed, great acceleration, and he's tremendous at attacking these low pace balls and creating offense off of them. Carlos is going to rip this forehand inside out, come to net, and finish off the volley really, really easily. This to me was the problem in the match for Rude, at least on the deuce side, is that Against a player like Alcaraz, blocking the serve is not good enough. Now, that can be somewhat harsh against some servers. If you were looking at someone like, um, let's give another guy who had a great run in Miami, Hubert Hurkacz. If you're playing Hubert Hurkacz in your Kasparud, I'm going to say, yes, absolutely, block those returns. You want to get as many in play as possible against Hercotch, who's a lot less comfortable hitting that first ball, generating his own pace, and attacking off the ground. Much less comfortable. Not to mention, his serve is very difficult to return. He hits great spots. So if you try to drive the return, it's going to be really difficult anyway. But what do we have here? What do we have here at this deuce point? We have a bad serve by Alcaraz. Not a good serve. Terrible spot. Awful location. Right to Rude's forehand. It's a bad serve. It's a worse return. It's a return that isn't going to get it done. And this is what we saw a lot of from Rude, and I said it in the preview. If you are blocking your return against Alcaraz, 
you're not taking advantage of Carlos's weakness. You're not taking advantage of the fact that he misses a lot of spots. You need to be, if you're going to beat Carlos, in my opinion, you need to be threatening enough on return that if Carlos hits a serve that goes right into your strike zone on the forehand side, that you're going to crush that return and you're going to make, you're going to put him in some trouble. If he was playing, um, you know, I don't know. I don't want to compare Rude. The point is, an elite returner needs to do more with this return. Rude blocking the return on the deuce side. The block return is not going to put you in good position against Alcaraz. And you have to come up with a little bit more against Carlos as a server, if that makes sense. Now let's go to the ad side. And remember, you have Rude now, for the most part, standing back especially in the first part of this match. So now let's go to match point. And here we have Rude standing back. And Alcaraz is going to hit the kick wide. And he's going to come in behind it. Rude's in big trouble here. Carlos finishes this volley. He's got so much court to work with. Because Rude's court position is obviously he's allowing himself to be pulled off the court. And, uh, and way behind the baseline with Alcaraz's kick serve, which is his best serve. Add side kick wide. That's Alcaraz's best serve, no doubt about it. But also, Rude's backhand, lots of topspin, not great at flattening it out. And he his backhand is not good enough to really make Alcaraz uncomfortable on this first volley. You know, if this were... Let me throw out some of the players who stand back on return. If this were Dominic Team, if this were Daniil Medvedev, if this were Rafael Nadal, they would be much more likely to really crush this return and with Alcaraz coming in behind his kick serve, either pass him or make him hit a really difficult volley. Rude's backhand is not at that level. And as a result, his positioning on return here and his backhand and what he's able to do with it, it's putting him in a really tough position where he's not able to he's not able to really have success from this return position on his backhand with Alcaraz coming in. So Alcaraz, when it comes to serve volley, Alcaraz serve and volleyed eleven times every single time on the ad side. That's one in every three points on the ad side. Carlos was coming in. And that doesn't count the serves that he missed. Only the serves that he made. One in every three points on the ad side he's coming in. He did it serving for the match. He did it on both points. So he, I could have shown you the uh, uh, love 15 point in this game as well. Where Rude missed this backhand return. Floated it long. It, it just, it was big trouble for him. So what the return that he needs he needed to find was this one right here. Um, here's break point for Kasparud at three love with Alcaraz serving. And Rude stands in. He's able to, and this was a first serve, um, I believe. He stands in and Rude rips this backhand and puts Alcaraz a little bit off balance on his back foot. Alcaraz goes inside in, and now Rude's able to hit this uh, big counter forehand cross court to gain control of the rally, and he ends up breaking serve. 
Farood, you have to, against Carlos, you have to find a way to stand in and drive. Um, you can stand back and drive, but that backhand, that backhand's going to be a problem if you stand back. Um, so really, he needs to find a way to stand in and try to drive. And that's how good Carlos is because that's easier said than done. And again, against a lot of players, the block return, you're, you can have success with that. Uh, but against Carlos, it was trouble here. And Alcaraz was uh, was money. He was really, really money. He made just two unforced errors on serve in the uh, zero through four rally length. So he really didn't give anything away in this respect. And he absolutely dominated with this perfect serving strategy. Really smart stuff. By the way, also 38% first serves on return from Rude. That is too high. That's not really good. We saw Hercotch, who is uh who's an average returner, maybe slightly above average returner. You know, in in relation to, I don't know, ATP's top 50. Uh 15% first serves unreturned from Alcaraz against Hercotch. So Hercotch did a far better job than Rude of getting those returns back in play. The rude return, it's just an issue. It was an issue against Kyrgios at Indian Wells. But other than that, as I'll talk about a little bit later, there is a lot to love about Rude's hardcourt game. So again, Alcaraz, 35 points won, 6 points lost in short rallies on his serve because uh, the serve and volley on the ad side with the kick serve out wide, or if he stayed back, just that, you know, just getting on top of the point, taking it early on the rise, uh, especially with the forehand inside in and attacking the open court. And on the deuce side, attacking that first ball off of the rude block return with how good Alcaraz is at generating his own pace. That was the difference in the match. Um, now, what what Rude also did, and he got off to an early lead in this match, was he was able to redline on the forehand early on. And that was the only way that I think Casper was going to win the match is if he just had a spectacular day on the forehand, if that shot really took over the match. And it actually did early on. It did. It took over the match. It was the biggest shot on the court, the best shot on the court, and it did put Carlos really on his heels for a while there. Rude was averaging 91 miles per hour on his forehand and really never, rarely, if ever, missing through the first five games of the match where he got up a break and he led, I want to say, was it 3-1 or 4-1? One of those. I think it was just 3-1, actually, uh, before Alcaraz got back into the match, got that break back. What we saw there was actually Rude not playing fully within himself. And I don't blame him. I have that much respect for Alcaraz and how good he is, but can we take a moment to understand that? 91 mile per hour average on the forehand through the first five games of this match. That is a player pressing. That's a player pressing. That is a player who is concerned about his opponent. Um, because the fastest, just for reference, the fastest forehands in the world, average 84 miles per hour. That's what like your Berrettini and Basilishvili are going to do. Then you have 
Alcaraz or, or you know, uh, Alcaraz or a Fritz, usually averaging around 80, 81 miles per hour. So that's kind of the range. Root averaging 91 miles per hour through the first five games, that wasn't sustainable. What was going to happen was there were going to be errors, and there were. So Root hit four forehand winners, and I don't know how many forced errors, but I'm sure even more uh, forced errors, before he hit that first forehand on forced error. It was an amazing start on the Root forehand. Incredible. But he proceeded to miss two forehands in the game that gave the break back to Alcaraz. Missed a lot of first serves in that game as well. Then he missed three forehands in the five-all game that gave Alcaraz the break. He ends up serving for the set there. So Rude finished with eight winners on his forehand to nine unforced errors. Remember, he started four to zero, ended eight to nine. Now, if you count finishes, which I think is the fairest way to do it, he ended with 18 finishes to nine unforced errors, which is pretty good overall, but not as good when you consider how well he started on the forehand. The fact is, Rude tried to redline on that forehand, and it wasn't sustainable. The misses ended up creeping into his game, which was inevitable, but it is amazing that Alcaraz puts enough pressure on a player as accomplished as Kasper Ruud and as good as Kasper Ruud that he's really forcing him to go for too much, forcing him to go for more. And another area where that was very evident was Kasper going to net. Ruud, I felt like, was forcing it a lot in this match, and he won just 13 of 22 net points. And I don't really feel like Alcaraz, Alcaraz's passing shots were always on point. I actually thought that he made, he missed a couple of very makeable backhand passing shots in this match. Still, Rude was just 13 of 22, which is not a great percentage. And again, you just got the sense that that's not really the Casper that we have come to know that that's a Casper that feels a little bit anxious out there, that feels like he needs to play a little bit better than normal, that feels like, well, maybe he doesn't have that decided baseline edge and that he needs to look to be a little bit more aggressive than normal. Because I just don't, I can't recall ever seeing Casper going to net 22 times in two sets especially when it's not really even working. It'd be one thing if it were, and then it's identifying something that maybe you're having success with or you feel really like you're you're feeling your volleys very well on a specific day, but that really wasn't it. It was mostly just Casper, I think, just upping the aggression and not really wanting to stand back and trade with Carlos Alcaraz. And Casper Ruud is very much a baseliner, but I think he felt uneven. I think he felt that every time he got an attacking forehand, he had to he had to basically finish the point with it. If he didn't finish the point with the forehand, then he was going to come forward behind it to try to finish the point. And there was a certain amount of desperation and anxiousness because I don't think that he felt all that comfortable in rally, which is amazing. There's an intimidation. There's an aura right now that Alcaraz, I think, surely has uh, because of, again— it's nothing that he's accomplished, really. Not to take anything away from what he's accomplished, but it's really what people are seeing, which goes back to what I said at the top. 
I'm still not sure that forcing your way to net is a very good strategy against Alcaraz. I've talked about this briefly. I don't know for anyone who's... Um, I forget when I talked about it, but for anyone who, who watches all my videos, they've probably heard me say this once before, but uh, I don't know. Going to net against Alcaraz, I'm not sure about that because his defense is very aggressive in nature. He defends very aggressively. So by coming to net, you're, you're giving him, obviously, the green light to try to counterattack and to use his speed and his incredible passing shots to flip the point around. And I just think Alcaraz likes that. And to me, maybe it's better to make him defend error-free and just stay on the baseline where, you know, you're less vulnerable to being counterattacked. Um, I'm not—look, we're still learning about— what you should do against Carlos Alcaraz. And let's face it, a lot of the best players, there's no kind of clear, like, you should come to net or you shouldn't come to net. It's usually, it doesn't work like that at all. But just in general, and I know that Nadal did it in the third set because he also felt that anxiousness that he wasn't getting the better of play from the baseline. And he was able to make a ton of really difficult volleys over and over and over again in that third set. Spectacular net play by Nadal in the third set to beat Carlos. I get that. But I just don't know that you're finding any sort of advantage by prematurely venturing forward against Alcaraz. Because to me, his speed is just a, a nightmare to try to finish against. And his defense is not always very disciplined. So my thought process is attack off the ground and stay back and hope he misses, trying to go for a little bit too much um, from defensive positions. That's my thought process. It could be wrong, but 13 for 22 at net for Rude, trying to redline his forehand. There were a lot of misses. Uh, this was, uh, I want to, before I finish, I do want to shout out Alcaraz's mentality. A lot of stuff wasn't working for Carlos. I don't think it was his best match. His drop shot was the worst I've ever seen it. He won just 3 of 10 points on the drop shot. It was 51 of 59 for the tournament coming into the match. And his volleying was much worse than usual. He missed a couple of uh, backhand volleys, especially that he uh, should not miss. And it's the second match in a row where he's had to scrap and claw a little bit. He couldn't return Hercotch's serve at all. So I just want to say he has, over the last two matches in Miami certainly impressed me with his his mental fortitude when it comes to keeping a positive attitude through adversity. This hasn't been a player who has been redlining through the tournament to me. It doesn't look like that to me. It it just looks it looks like legitimately Alcaraz has had his challenges has worked through them and won two matches over the weekend at a Masters 1000 event in Miami. So just want to shout out the positive attitude and the the spirit, the competitor's spirit that Alcaraz has shown. Ending on some Casper Rude thoughts. 
his serve plus one is now deadly enough to have major success on all surfaces. It's really, really deadly and damaging. The serves averaged, averaged 126 and 108 in this match. And that's where the gains have mostly been. They've mostly been the gains for Kasparud. I think he went from 27 in the world to 10 in the world last year. The gains have been serve-related mostly. Also physical. He's gotten big and strong, I think, over the last couple of years. But the gains have mostly been serve-related. That is big. 126 on the first. 108 on the second. That is no joke. We know about his forehand. It's one of the biggest in the world. It is fantastic. When you are combining those two things, serve and forehand, you're gonna have uh you're gonna be a you're gonna be a top ten player, pretty much. Right there. Now you add mobility. Rude's Rude moves well. He's fast around the court. He's a great athlete. He can get to a point where I don't think he'll ever serve as well as Matteo Berrettini, but he can get to a point that probably approaches that somewhat. I think right now his serve plus one is it's probably as good as Tsitsipas's. Close to as good as Tsitsipas's. And that's probably the best comparison where you have serve plus one and mobility, which is, it's going to get you very, very far. Two places I want to see him improve. And we're going to move to Clay and... Um, you know, he still needs that big run at a major and I still think he gets nervous sometimes, although this was a good tournament for him when it comes to nerves, handled the semifinal really, really well. It was, it was great. Great to see, um, just needs to improve the return and maybe learn to flatten out that backhand a little bit because sometimes that can be exposed that he doesn't protect his backhand as well as he needs to, but it's mostly the return on hard court. And honestly, it, it might hurt him on clay too. Let's let's keep an eye out for that because to me, what Alcaraz did with the serve and volley, everyone should be doing that to to Rude. They should be kick serve out wide and come in behind it, even on clay. Everybody should be doing that. So that's where I think the focus needs to be. The more I think about it, the more he reminds me of Tsitsipas with his weaknesses and what he needs to get better and what he does really, really well. And I think if there's resistance to that comparison or if that comparison doesn't come to mind really quickly and easily, the most, you know, it, it might be because of the two-hander versus the one-hander, but really they are so similar. Um, obviously, obviously there are plenty of differences that I can think of. I won't go through them, uh, but the return, the return is, is that, is that next step because he used to be a player who who was not as proactive and offensive and didn't have the serve and the firepower to really be great on hard court. That is no longer the case, is I guess the main point I want to make. He now has the serve and the forehand to play really brutalizing offensive tennis on quicker surfaces and have a ton of success. If he figures out the return, then he's going to go very, very far. He's by no means going to be a clay quarter. He's going to be an all quarter. That's the missing piece right now. 
that is all I got. Uh, this week is Charleston. The next episode of Monday Match Analysis will be a Monte Carlo preview. Maybe if news breaks before then, I will talk to you then. If not, I will see you then. Hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wild. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean not a cellar. the mini-fridge. It's a mini-fridge. It's a mini-fridge. Yeah. New New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.